0: So tonight the message title is how to dream with God and not feel guilty, which has always been my key part. And it's it's fitting that we're doing this kind of at the end of the year. It's the Christmas season, right? How, how many is a kid just like was just waiting for Christmas to come every year? I mean, I remember for me, it was just like, is it Christmas yet? Is it Christmas yet? And my Christmas wish list, I would like start on it in like July because I want to make sure I had it all lined out and I would anticipate it and look forward to it. And I'd write down notes and, and um, I don't know, anybody into Ninja Turtles back in the day? I'm little confessions here. So I remembered they had the Ninja Turtle sewer system and it was just like, oh, that's like the greatest gift ever. And you have like a little bucket of ooze you can pour on them and it's so killer. And then they little swing and it hits and it was just amazing. And um, I have no idea where I'm going right now with this. But it was a really cool present. And, but I just I wanted it so, so bad. And I just remembered the, the power of expectation for Christmas and what is going to be in those boxes. And there's a reason that Jesus pointed to children. And he said that the kingdom of God belongs to such as these and pointed to the children. There's something that happens that as you grow up You know, I don't know, I mean, I don't even know what I want for Christmas this year, (laughs) you know. I don't know about you, but like life changes. We don't come and have these huge lists. We don't like come with a great expectation. We're kind of like, oh, I got to get presents and Christmas postcards and all that stuff and family. You know, we have all these things that are about. And the magic of Christmas, at least from as we grew up as children, is kind of gone. But if you think about that transition, I believe the same has happened in regarding our dreams and our visions and our expectations for God and for our life. And the disappointment and discouragement that life brings us, I think, uh, tends to choke out our aspirations. And I like to think that, you know, when I talk to someone like you know, what do you, what do you dream about? What are you wishing for? And it, it, the, the feeling that comes back is that it's childish, right? Well, I, I don't do that. I'm, I'm, I believe in reality these days. But most adults have been robbed of the ability to dream altogether. But I believe a child dreams because they actually don't know any better. That's one of the powerful things as being a kid is that you don't ever worry, is dad going to be able to have food on the table? Is there going to be presents under the tree? Like, we don't even worry those things. And and um, I had uh, uh, just an a awesome family, but I never once worried about that stuff for the longest time. But religion has the same way of beating out the expectations that we have for dreaming as well. Because religion is about obedience. And dreaming is really not that compatible with obedience. When we think about dreaming, we kind of think of it as like a little outside the norms. It's coloring outside the lines. And dreaming is often, in super religious circles, is, is linked to discontentment, too. That you dream because you're discontent, and to be discontent is unholy, and if, if you're not content, then that's sin. And dreaming is often linked to, like, selfishness. Well, why are you thinking about yourself, and how can you really dream for something while there's starving children in Africa, right? I mean, every, anybody in here, like, say, finish your carrots because there's children in some country that don't have food? <laughs> I mean, like, we have these things, and and with dreaming, there becomes this childishness, there becomes this guilt, there becomes this over-saved mentality that I can't do this. But rarely ever will we attend a service and actually hear someone preach about dreaming with God. Jesus talked about dreaming, wishing, and asking a whole lot. But I would have dream guilt in my pursuit. So here's my sermon for you guys tonight on this, and I have a couple scriptures The first is Mark chapter 10, verse 35. I love this story. It says, James and John, the two sons of Zebedee, came up to him saying, Teacher, we want you to do whatever we ask of you. And Jesus said, Depart from me, you wicked servant, where I cast you out, where there's gnashing of teeth and a fiery furnace. He didn't say that. But that is a more believable response than what he actually says. We actually would believe that Jesus would say, depart from me. How dare you? The least of these will be the greatest, and the greatest of you will be the least. You know, he's going to say something that's like turn on his head and reverse it. He says this in verse 36. He says, what do you want me to do for you? Jesus didn't rebuke them. He didn't tell them that camels don't grow on trees. He didn't do any of this stuff like, do you know how many kids in Africa long for a robe and stick? He was just like, what do you want me to do for you? And later, Jesus says something incredibly profound. This is in John chapter 15. It says, if you remain in me and my words remain in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. I believe that this is the blueprint for dreaming with God. So let's unpack this. If you remain in me, one of the very first things is that we forget that every single angle, every aim, every motive of Jesus is intimacy with you. That is the one thing that Jesus wants, and that is the one thing that Satan is terrified of. So why does Jesus mention remaining in him first? Why why doesn't he say, well, think about the word before you ask and filter it first and then ask. And if you stick with me, maybe then I'll give it to you. He doesn't say, go read the Bible and find out what you really should be asking first. No, he says, remain in me. Why? There's a few reasons. The first is that there is a war going on for your heart and your attention. There is a war going on in this world for your heart and your attention. The things of this world, the stuff of life always has a hidden agenda to steal the attention of your heart, heart, (laughs) eyes, and the focus of your worth. 1 John 2 says this, For everything in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life comes not from the Father but from the world. Jesus never wants to give you something at the expense of your heart being connected to him. Because the battle is for your heart. He never wants to have you yearn and pine and receive something that will disconnect your heart to him. And it's possible in our day and age and our culture with all the things that grab for our attention is that we become so consumed with desiring the gift is that we no longer have the desire for the gift giver. The trap in dreaming with God is that we become focused on the gift and we forget the gift giver. Do you know what it's called when you ask for something and have no interest in intimacy? Prostitution. Perhaps you are wanting a prostitute more than you are wanting a lover with Jesus. Perhaps that is what you're like... We, we, we think that Jesus, I, I, I want the stuff, but I don't want my heart that would draw me closer to you. Are you guys okay? <laughs> Looks like I upset some people. Let me try over here. <laughs> you guys look a little bit better. But we would level with me that sometimes every in our faith, we, we have a tendency that we'd rather have the favors of our flesh than have the lover of our soul. We would rather have the results of having a powerful God who gives rather than being connected to the heart of the, the one who redeems us. Why? It's because sometimes when we sign up for a relationship with Christ is that he's not content with just improving our life incrementally through stuff, that he actually wants a transformation of how we think and live and have a secure identity being his son and his daughter. The second thing is, is that Jesus is the one who inspires the desires of your heart. When you understand that you are made to have intimacy with them, you are designed to be connected, united with them. It says whoever is united with him is one with him in spirit. We can understand when Psalm 37.4 says, Take delight in the Lord and he will give you the desires of your heart. You can interpret that in many ways. I like to think of it as that God begins to inspire your heart for pinings and dreams and wishes. Notice again that the first part, it says take delight in the Lord. That was the first part. And again, it falls in John 15 that if we remain in him, then the desires of our heart will be inspired. Why? It's because we have a habit of dreaming for things that doesn't include any participation with God. It's really easy to dream for things that actually have nothing to do with him. It really requires no, uh, no participation from him at all. I think sometimes we dream too small because we we are dreaming for incremental improvements and it doesn't really demand God, but to dream apart from God is to dream small. To dream apart from God is to dream small. It means to dream narrowly only for your lifetime. God would have you dream to an extent that the dreams are so big that the effects will survive your life here and produce a legacy and a generational impact, He'd much rather have you do that. But when you dream apart from God, you come up with dreams for a fancy car and a fancy house. When you dream with God, he gives you dreams for nations. You, when you dream with God, will dream for generational impact and legacy. It's easier for God to bless you with a car than it is to bless nations through you. God wants to partner with you, but he doesn't want to do you a favor. There's a big difference there. When we, know it's, when we know we're dreaming apart from God, we're asking God to do favors and incrementally improve. When we dream with God, he begins to inspire us and becomes something that only he can do along with us. It's like someone come up to you and like they're really intimidated. I really have a, you know, just if you could consider it. You know, possibly, I know you're a busy guy, Mike, please, Mike, could you like my Facebook status tomorrow? <laughs> you're like, that's it? Like, how useless do I look? I mean, something is so incremental, when we limit our dreams and our aspirations to just The things and just the stuff, and we don't even think about, God, you're eternal, and I'm here for a speck of time, and I want to dream into such a degree in which my life echoes and continues to ripple out. But we would rather seek the car than the nations, and God thinks that the car is the thing that's limited. But when we dream with God, the dreams are aligned with our potential. There's one thing you hear tonight, it's this, is that every other person in the world that you would dream with will dream according to your limitations. God is the only one who can dream with you according to your potential. You want to have really lame, like, low bar dreams and aspirations? Just, like, talk with people who you work with, (laughs) basically, you know? Everyone's like, don't get too good, you know, because you'll make me look bad, you know? We don't want to rock the boat, we want things to be, you know, the same. Or siblings, right? Sibling rivalry. You know, my, my siblings, like, victory is like my defeat at the same time. I was like, no, one be awesome like that, because like, it makes me look bad. And there's a tendency in the kingdom, in the family, are you guys with me? Is that we have this competitive nature that something good that happened for somebody else means that something not good happened to me. Or something not good didn't happen to me. Or something like that. <laughs> it made sense in my mind. But When we understand that we can dream with God who dreams according to our potential. He made us, he's our maker, that he can inspire us to dream so much bigger and grander than anybody else in the world. Think about this. By getting the car and the house you want, any car, any house, you will never create a generational impact and a generational legacy. But when you create a generational impact and a legacy, I promise you that you'll be thrilled with the options of cars you can drive in the house that you'll live in. One begets the other, the other does not. So when we ask God and we limit it to, oh, give me the stuff, he's like, why don't you dream bigger? Why don't you get a grander vision for what your life could do? And and if you hit that out of the park, I promise you the car won't be an issue. I promise the marriage, I promise the job, I promise these different things, they're gonna come to you. The second thing that John says Jesus says in John 15, it says that my word remains in you. If you remain in me, the second part, and my words remain in you. I mentioned that sometimes we don't know any better as kids. It's a beautiful thing. You know, like they, Scarlett, she doesn't know any better typically. Uh, When I was young, I remember vividly learning the concept of people go to work and people make money. I wonder how much money people make. And I'd be like in group settings and be like, hey, how much money do you make? You know, like, and just have no idea it was completely inappropriate and awkward. And people were like, "Uh, uh, ah, you know. And it's just, I had no idea. I just thought I was curious. I didn't know it was sensitive and private information. But the same thing goes with God is that he gives us grace. He doesn't penalize us if we dream outside the box. We don't know any better. And that's why he says, if my words remain in you... God says, remain in me first, and my words remain in you. This is what 2 Timothy says about the words, the scriptures. All scripture is God breathed and useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness so that the servant of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. The scripture is used for teaching, correcting, rebuking, and training. When we dream, when we're remaining in him and we dream, we get to put it in alignment to God's heart as in his written word. But forgetting the word allows us to do some things that are contrary to God's heart. Sometimes we ask God of things that are actually curses against somebody else. Go to any Christian sports game kill it, crush them, beat them. God, give us victory and have them cower with their tails between their legs, going home on their school bus. You know, we have these things where we bring God into these natures of, God, help me kill them, you know? <laughs> and it's this, this is, it's amazing concept that we can have, we can seek God for crazy things that actually are detrimental to other people. How about somebody who's gotten wayward on the path? God, would you humble them with bad circumstances? Let them be really sorry, you know? Like, we want people to, like, really regret things, you know? In Jesus' name, have them be pitiful. (laughs) Or or something else, like, maybe that, um, God, please have that relationship break up so that then Jennifer will notice how cute and adorable I am with my eyelashes, you know? Like, we can say things that hope for the demise to open up an opportunity, And so God is not impressed when we pray for things that actually mean that he has to squash or smite somebody else. And the next thing is that forgetting the word actually allows us to think small. If you read the Bible and you're thinking, man, I should live a really mediocre, inside the box life, you are reading the wrong translation. Probably not the Bible. But when you read the Bible and you realize what God's heart is for you and what he equips you for and what he sees in you, you begin to think it. In a totally different light, John 14, 12 says, Very truly I tell you, whoever believes in me will do the works I have been doing. And they will do even greater things than these because I am going to the Father. The goal here is to live an outrageous life without outrageous impact. Very few people in here, I would even argue, think that they can do greater things than Jesus. That's sin, you know? But right here, he's saying, like, you will do greater things than me. We're like, whoa! I don't want anything better than Jesus. You know, I don't think he's, no one hopefully here is hoping to be the savior of the world because that already happened. But there's a whole lot of other things that Jesus left to be done for us to impact the world. He came to save and seek the lost. You and I are more connected to more lost people than ever before. The potential's there, but the goal is to live an outrageously impactful life. And we do that by living unified with Jesus, dreaming in his name and asking in his name. Why? Did you notice what Jesus said? You'll do greater things than me. And it says, because I am going to the Father. Romans 8 tells us that Jesus is at the right hand of the Father, interceding on our behalf. What does that mean? It means... Sal can pray and, and you know, Jesus, what don't you do this? And, and Jesus is like, hey, Pops, Sal's got this great idea. And you really should, like, check this out. I mean, he petitions on our behalf. He's our advocate. He is our partner with it. Forgetting the word also allows us to develop the wrong motive. James 4.3 says this, When you ask, you do not receive because you ask with wrong motives that you may spend what you get on your pleasures. This is a very twisted verse. We think this that God is against delight. God, oh, I, I can't have anything of personal enjoyment. The word there for pleasures is not associated with enjoyment and personal satisfaction and, and things like that. It's actually linked with lusts. The equivalent is God, would you give me some free passes to the Playboy mansion? That is the equivalent of asking for the wrong motives. Asking God to do something that his word is already in contrary and contradiction to. God is not against enjoyment. He's certainly against the lust that leads to sin. We also can dream dreams that go against the expressed mission of God to love and to reach people. God, give me a private island so I never have to see any of your people ever again. He's like, really? I kind of put you on here to reach them. You don't want to reconsider? And we need to be mindful of that when we dream, that we don't dream our ways into isolation that, that protects us from the world and protects us from the pains and the needs of the world and the people that are perishing without him. When we take an alternate route downtown to get to Subway because we know that there's the same homeless man that's begging for money, we are customizing our life to absolve us from anything that hurts our heart because God wants to speak to our heart. When you feel bad because you walk past someone in need, it's not personal guilt, it's actually the Holy Spirit saying, man, I live in you, do something about it. You don't have to, you don't have to like buy him a house, buy him a sandwich first. Maybe there's a house in the sandwich, maybe they have sweepstakes at the Subway shop, or something, you never know. I remember there was a, some person recently who won the lottery, and they like, no, you go ahead first. And that was the winning lotto ticket. It was crazy, just like a month or so ago. You never know what happens in the small acts of kindness because when we do the small things that ping our heart, we're participating in the larger mission of God. But our dreams sometimes can help remove us from even hearing those needs and feeling those needs in the first place. But this all gets back to the only way you can have the wrong motive is to be disconnected in the heart. When the heart is aligned and united with Christ, the request is not threatening. We have guilt because we think the request, the dream, it's threatening to God. It's threatening to, you know, church or religion or whatever. But when God has your heart, he can trust your motives. Are you with me? When God has your heart, he can trust your motives. When God can trust your heart, he can entrust you with the outcome. God doesn't withhold giftings. He doesn't withhold outcomes because he doesn't like you. He doesn't like your heart. He withholds it because he doesn't want to crush you because you can't contain it. He wants to give you things that your character can withstand Bill Johnson says this powerful word. It says, God is looking for people who don't love the world to entrust the world to. We pursue God in our dreams and we ask him, Lord, would you move, but let my character contain however you would give me a result and an outcome. God is not glorified when he blesses you and it puts you into ruin. If you want to watch something fascinating, you can watch like on probably TLC or... A or something like, I won the lottery, now I'm broke, like show. And it's stories of people who won it big, and then they squandered it all. And, they, and there's like suicides, there's crazy stuff. Like they say, like, the lottery cursed me. And the same thing is we ask, God, would you give me? But he's like, if I give you that, your, your character, your person cannot withhold it, and it's going to put you into ruin. I believe uh, an insufficient character is more responsible for why we don't receive than it is because of the ask. If you really want to pursue God and really want to be available for him to do the crazy, amazing thing is to make yourself available for transformation that no matter what happens in your life, you don't move. You don't get shaken. You don't get thrown off course. And the next thing about forgetting the word is that it allows us to forget the purpose. Your purpose for every blessing in your life is to become a blessing to someone else. Are you guys okay? You guys have a scared look on your face. I hope this is is supposed to be uplifting. (laughs) The purpose of every blessing in your life is to become a blessing to someone else. The theology of a blessing is to bless those around you. The only way to mess up your blessing is to hinder its impact beyond you. The only way that you can mess up some blessing in your life is if you just put your arms around it and never let it get out of you. Matthew 6, 19, 21. Here's another messed up verse that we misinterpreting and missed the point. It says this, Do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and vermin destroy and where thieves break in and steal, but store up for yourselves treasures in heaven where moth and vermin do not destroy and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Every person in the universe reads this passage and is like, treasure is terrible. Money's terrible. I don't want to have Moth destroy it. You know, like they, we have this false, um, it's cool like in Christian uh, circles to like be poor. Everyone notice that? Nice shirt. Oh, I got it on the clearance rack. You know, I didn't spend any money. Always oh, a gift. You know, you, like anything that good happens to you, you have to like describe why it's really not as good as what they're thinking. I'm sure all you guys did that this past week, you know? I got a, a truck and I felt guilty for my truck for like a year. I was like, ah. Oh. I was like, oh, they had a really good financing deal on it. And I really sold my other truck for a lot more money than I thought I would. So it gave me permission. And I was like, no, like, I'm, I, I'm blessed. I'm not going to apologize for it. Yeah. Amen. God is not glorified in that. If I give my wife a crazy piece of jewelry, the last thing I want her to do is like, yeah, so um, it's really not that good. It's, you know, it's, it's okay, but there's certainly better things. Like how w- terrible do I feel about giving her gifts when all that she does is to talk about how they're really not that good. And there needs to be something that is corrected in the Christian circles that allows us to rejoice in the blessings of God. Remember, it's that competitive thing, like, well, don't get too blessed, you know. We're like terrified that someone's going to get more blessed than the other. We're like, yes, seek, Lord, the blessing. And then when he gives, we're like, oh, humble him. Smite him. You know, bring him back. <laughs> and the same thing is with this passage. Is that Christians have become so wired that we must get rid of money and get rid of finance because it's, it's money is the root of all evil. Another misquoted passage it's the love of money that's the root of all evil. Money in itself is not the big a deal. The streets in heaven are paved with gold. He's he's made it a point. He's like, I made asphalt out of the most precious thing on earth. I don't care about it. And here's what this means when we look at, do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth. People misread this again and they they make it about the treasure. The scripture has nothing to do with the treasure, but it has everything that you do with it. The scripture is not based on the treasure. It's based upon what dumb people do with treasure. Christians do a lot of dumb things with money. You can have no money and you can be completely responsible than someone who's got a lot of money and is just a good steward of it. God is more honored with the person who's got way more wealth because he doesn't care about the money itself. It's what you do with it. Notice it says, don't store up. It is foolish to be a hoarder of stuff. I don't know, reality TV show themes tonight, TLC, Hoarders, Buried Alive, Rat Edition. You know, like you get these (laughs) crazy shows of people who have awful, like, news clippings. I store my kitty litter for 17 years. Like, they do weird stuff. I made that up, but it doesn't really sound surprising to me. Um, it, it's Don't store up. Don't hoard. If you come into money, if you come into wealth, if you have treasure, the worst thing you can do is store it up. It's like taking a snowboard to Baja, Mexico. You're like, what are you doing? You're an idiot. There's no snow here. And that's what Jesus is trying to make the point in Treasures. Like, don't start up, don't die with all this money. I want my last check on earth to bounce. That's like, I want to like, okay, I want to have a generational impact. I want to leave a legacy. And I want to make sure that like, I'm generous to the max. And my last check bounces. Hopefully it's not a pig check. But it bounces by like a little bit. Maybe it can be like my last burrito or something, something small. It says, don't store up, and then don't store up for yourself. Don't hoard, particularly in the exclusion of others. It's like you can have a lot, but if you only keep it in your arms, you never let go, and only think of yourself, that is where the error comes. There's an interesting passage. This is not my notes, I'm just going to go on a tangent real quick. Philippians 4.19, And God will meet all of your needs according to the glorious riches in Christ Jesus. According to his glorious riches in Christ Jesus, Ephesians, I think it's chapter 2, says, That we would have our eyes opened and know the glorious riches of inheritance in the saints. That's you and me. That every need would be met by his glorious riches. Ephesians that we would know his glorious riches in the saints. What does that mean? It means when we pray for God to meet our needs, it's actually you and I meeting that need. I haven't seen God deliver gold coins from heaven yet. That would be really cool, but I have seen a lot of people moved by the Holy Spirit who write checks. I think that's what Jesus is meaning is that he's designed us to have needs met because he already has the wealth in the hands of believers. And he's working on the hearts of believers to not hoard it and keep it for themselves. So the whole point of all that (laughs) was to don't be fearful if your dream has stuff in it. We are fearful when asking for anything that has stuff to do with it because stuff is not the issue. It's what we do with the stuff that matters. If God can trust you what? your behavior looks like in the presence of stuff, then He knows that He can give you unlimited stuff. He can entrust you with the world. God is looking for people who don't love the world to entrust the world to. You want to dream big. You want to have a character that doesn't matter, that, that you are a conduit. You are the hands and feet of Jesus. You are God's bank writing checks. You are delivering checks and jumbo size to people. You are doing things in your life that bless others. When God knows that His blessing to you, your dream fulfilled, flows out and has an impact through generations, through people, through audiences, whatever it is. I, I just have to believe that God's like, that was a good return on my investment. We know that, that God is a steward. He's looking to portion more in the areas that are more effective. From the ten talents. Remember like the, ten, the three servants who got a few coins? And what was crazy about that story is that it was a few coins and, and the people who did good with a few coins, it wasn't like, well, here's a few more bags of coins. Like no, Here's ten cities. It was so exponential that God, I believe, has opened up opportunities for us to hit it out of the park in the smallest thing, that sandwich for that person who's homeless on the corner. You got to raise. Like, do something with it. Do, do something that, like, helps other people. Knock it out of the park in a small area because then God knows that he can just turn on the floodgates and whatever you ask. And that's the final thing is to ask what you wish. When you remain in him and his reward remains in you, you can ask away. Because the asking has been filtered through the intimacy. It's been filtered through the accountability of the word. So what to remember when we ask? The first thing is this, is that we ask too small. If there's anything here tonight, is just to say, don't dream more, just dream bigger. You need to have more requests. You don't need to have more lists. You don't need to have more items. Just dream bigger. Just give give God the credibility of saying that he's bigger than a car or a house. He's bigger than that dirt bike. He's bigger than these different things. Like, ask God, would you give me a people? Would you give me a city? If not a city, give me a town. If not a town, give me a neighborhood. If not a neighborhood, give me a house. If not a house, a family. If not a family, give me one child. Just work your way all the way down. But God, his destiny is for you actually to captivate the hearts of cities, not to captivate one little person. He's designed you to reach the world. And so Ephesians 3 says this, Now to him who is able to do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine according to his power that is at work within us. Let me invite the band up. He is able to do immeasurably more than we could ever ask or imagine according to his power that is at work within us. What does this mean? It means that on the shelves of heaven, on the shelves of heaven, are all the things that God was ready to give that people never asked for. In storehouses, I believe in heaven, are all the things God wanted to do. He was prepared to do, he wanted to do, and he was ready, but no one had the audacity to ask. The point is that he is able to do much more than we can ask now. So why don't we just take him at his word and say, I'm going to go bigger. And maybe you're, and this is where you have to examine your giftings, your strengths, how God already made you, and ask God, what does an impact that survives my life look like? What does, what is my talent, what is my gifting, what is my passion magnified a hundredfold look like? And begin to ask and begin to sow. And then, and then in that, you ask him for what is the first step that I needed to take? You know, we have a, this uh, software business that we're, you know, a few of us here do. And it started off as like, let's just be like a, a better way to, to donate and fundraise or whatever. And let's just like not suck at it. It was kind of our main aim at it. And what's crazy is that in the, the steps, God knew my heart to, um, He knew I, I, I couldn't be a missionary. <laughs> He's like, Lord knows, I can't, I can't do that, you know? Um, and I suffered, that's a whole other message. I suffered from like that guilt of like, I love you, Lord, but I don't know if I love you that much, you know? And that is a wrong theology, is that like God is not wanting any of us to do one thing or do the other. There's no like holy meter that begins to go up of how many days did you fast for? Like it doesn't, doesn't register like that for him. He's asking for your heart. But here's what's crazy is that in the steps that he led me, knowing I have a heart for nations, knowing I have a heart for technology, is that he's using this, this silly little software business that I believe in the next five or so years will probably be the, the number one way that the kingdom is funded. It's crazy. I'm watching, like, we have this little ticker on our website, like, money that's raised. And a lot of it's being raised from uh, ministries and churches and nonprofits. Cool stuff. I'm not taking any credit for this at all. I'm just saying that God led me to, let's try this little thing. And he's like, I knew your heart. I knew your gifting. You didn't apologize for it. And look, I'm going to entrust you to have a larger impact than you originally designed. But you know what? If I would have come in, I never would have prayed, like, God, allow us to have something that transformed the world in giving. Because I always felt that was selfish. I always felt that that was too unrighteous. That, oh, it's, taking the, it's bringing the tension on me. But God is actually looking for people to say, God, would you allow me to transform the world in such a way that has never been seen before? Right. Why? Is because I'm not threatened because Christ lives in me. I'm not in competition with somebody else. He's in you. How can you be in competition when he's in you? It's not possible. But it's when you say, I by myself, you know, like you can... You certainly can make it about you. But if you're not trying to make it about you, it's about you and him together. And that's what we need to know is that we need to ask God, Lord, would you do greater things than I in my ability to ask? And even in the small things, maybe you can say, God, I only can, um, I only can come with one name, one person. And in that is the seed of a larger impact. In that is the opportunity to minister to that person, their family. And who knows, maybe that person transforms their entire family tree to family union. You have no idea. (laughs) The point in that is that when we seek God and we ask God, here's the big picture, but I'm ready for the small step now. And to have the gumption to take the first small step. Is so key because what we do is is you'll have like a big dream. Lord, do this awesome, great thing. And then you'll be dissatisfied with any other outcome but walking in that fullness. Does that make sense? That you can dream something then you can be like, okay, that's how it's going to look. When you dream something big with God, you got to be prepared like, all right, (laughs) any takers here. Like you got to be open for how it's going to come together and how it's going to take shape, and it's going to mutate and, and go into that great, grand theme. The last thing on that Ephesians verse is that the power that is at work within us. Notice that it is His power at work within us. When we have a dream, we got to chase after it. God will not give you something that you refuse to pursue. You want it bad enough, you got to go after it. The first part is the ask. It's the, God, that is is my my vision. And then you got to hit the ground going for it because God God is not going to give you something that you refuse to change your life for. And that you refuse to change your responsibilities, your attitude, and your decisions in life to go after it. He's our father. He's our counselor. He's our friend. He's our enabler. He's not our genie.